Hi, everyone. Welcome to this week's edition of Stacker Chats. My name is Gina Abrams, and I'm an early team member with the Stacks Project. And I'm joined by Muneeb Ali, founder of Stacks. How are you today, Muneeb? I'm good. Thanks for having me. Excellent. Um, so the Stacks blockchain launched earlier this year, the Stacks 2.0 blockchain launched earlier this year, bringing apps and smart contracts to Bitcoin. And we are doing this uh, YouTube series specifically to ask some commonly asked questions about the project. And we also definitely want to get community questions. So if you have any questions or topic suggestions, feel free to reach out. We typically post these on Twitter and that's a great way to get in touch. So there's been a lot of discourse in the crypto Twitter world lately about Bitcoin and energy consumption generally. I'm curious, what are some of the ways that Bitcoin is misunderstood? Uh, I think I think that's a great question. Uh, it's super, it might come across as surprising that Bitcoin is kind of the first cryptocurrency, and yet it's misunderstood in so many ways. Right. Let me let me first focus on the fact that um, Bitcoin has um, a you can think of that as a two layer type of a design that the base layer which is the main Bitcoin blockchain. It's designed to be simple. It's designed to be durable. It's designed to have a very small attack vector. And it is extremely hard to change. And those are the type of properties that you would associate with uh, sovereign money or, or a store of value. That people can trust that this thing can be around 10 years from now, 50 years from now, 100 years from now. And that it is extremely hard to change uh, the supply of Bitcoin, any other properties of, of the blockchain, it's not experimental, it's durable, right? And, uh, and also that it maximizes decentralization. Like what you're really talking about is that a truly decentralized global network and that can stand the test of time, that can have different kind of like people attack the network and it can still survive and so on. So that's what Bitcoin base layer is about. But I think what people kind of like forget is uh, there can be additional layers on top of Bitcoin. I think Lightning is probably the most well-known example of that, where you could actually do much faster transactions, much more high volume of transactions as Lightning channels. And those channels would then settle on Bitcoin. So Bitcoin is a settlement layer. It's not supposed to be, the base layer is not supposed to be something that, and that you would use for everyday transactions. So things like Lightning, or in terms of stacks, you could have stable coins like XUSD that recently came out uh, with, the, uh, uh, with the project that, that just launched. And or you could have uh, Bitcoin-based assets like XBDC that TokenSoft announced that they're, they're working on. So you would make, if you're buying coffee, you would buy coffee with something like XUSD, or um, maybe you would buy that with Satoshi's over a lightning channel. And then these things actually set on Bitcoin. And when people think about Bitcoin, they're usually not thinking about these additional layers that Bitcoin can have, which is actually very counterintuitive in the sense that if you if you think about Ethereum, um, there are layer twos for Ethereum. Or if you think about Avalanche or some of these newer chains, they have concepts of subnets that bring additional functionality. Or in Polkadot, there are these parachains and so on. Right? So in, in any blockchain system, um, there are these extensions or additional layers that, that you can imagine that are bringing additional functionality 
uh, to the base layer. But in Bitcoin, people often misunderstand and they think that somehow these additional functionality or layers cannot come to Bitcoin or smart contracts can come to Bitcoin or scalability or really high throughput transactions can come to Bitcoin. And that's that's completely a misunderstanding. Uh, and the two-layer approach where one layer is durable, the Bitcoin main chain, and it is very hard to change and it's very simple, is actually a feature. Right? You don't want to have a lot of complexity baked into uh, your base layer that is trying to be sovereign money. And then more experimental things can happen on these additional layers, uh, which is, is a very elegant solution uh, in a way, uh, but I don't think a lot of people uh, realize that. And then that's where you, know, you, you hear things like Bitcoin is just a rock, it can't do anything. And that makes you scratch your head that uh, you know, they don't fully understand that any, anything that an additional layer can do uh, in any other ecosystem uh, you can very easily bring these things to Bitcoin, and these things are not theoretical. Uh, Lightning is a real thing. Like Stacks blockchain and smart contracts and Stacks, they're a real thing. The projects like RSA and so on. So there is a healthy, thriving ecosystem around Bitcoin already. Uh, but in general, uh, I think it is true that it gets a lot less attention because of this misunderstanding that people just think that Bitcoin, um, Bitcoin is just kind of like a store of value, and that's it. Great information. Thank you. So what's your personal thesis on this concept of flippening? It's something that we hear about sometimes. Um, there are folks who say that Ethereum could flip Bitcoin given all the traction that it has, all the development that we're seeing. Obviously, we're a long way from there. But what are some of the components of the Ethereum ecosystem that you see as really thriving? And Conversely, what are some of the things that you specifically wanted to learn from and maybe do a little bit differently with Stacks? Yes. So I think uh, the biggest thing there is that um, in the early days, uh, Ethereum was clearly positioned as gas for smart contracts, which makes a lot of sense. A lot of these uh, layer ones, uh, including the Stacks blockchain, right? it's really gas for smart contracts that connects to Bitcoin and, and settles on Bitcoin. And that, that's the main use case. And I think lately in the last year or so, uh, the Ethereum community has started positioning Ethereum as something that could be sovereign money. And I think they have made some recent changes to the, uh, to the, to the supply, uh, basically making uh, Ether more uh, scarce and changing, changing the, the token economics and so on and, and trying to market it as something that can become a sovereign money as well. Right. So then now there are two use cases. Earlier, uh, Bitcoin was clearly uh, positioned as sovereign money or, or a store of value. And Ethereum was gas for smart contracts. And these are, in my mind, completely separate things. Right? And, and the metrics you, you look for, uh, these things are very different. Like, for example, if I'm evaluating a sovereign money, uh, what matters to me is decentralization. Like how decentralized is this thing and actually survive real attacks on it. Uh, how hard it is to change, how durable it is. When you think about Bitcoin, you'll think about durability, like this thing is durable. When you think about Ethereum, uh, you would actually think that it's more experimental, which is which is which can be a good thing, like for a smart contract platform and you're trying to have different experiments and you're trying to learn and so on. But maybe that same thing that's good for a smart contract platform might not be a good property for a sovereign money, right? So I do think that recently Ethereum is trying to kind of like uh, have both functionality 
uh, in 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 the, in the same system, and it will be interesting to see how that plays out. Uh, I personally am in the camp that Bitcoin is much better suited to be sovereign money uh, because of properties like you know maximizing decentralization, maximizing durability, maximizing immutability, and and Ethereum would would need to work on those things that because there is a history of making changes uh, to Ethereum, there is a history of uh, it's much easier to introduce new changes to Ethereum than it is to Bitcoin. There, uh, there are questions around, around around centralization that because of the size of the, the Ethereum chain and the kind of complexity that's in the chain, that there are only a handful of people that might be able to run archival nodes and so on. So I think those are open questions. Uh, I think where people get confused is they see a lot of developer traction for smart contracts. And then they start thinking that because of developer traction and smart contracts, Ethereum could be good money. And I think that line of reasoning is a little bit broken for me. Yes, Ethereum is used as gas for these smart contracts, but there's nothing fundamental for a gas asset to also be internet money. Again, I I think uh, the characteristics for what makes a good sovereign money is very different from, from something that is good gas for smart contracts. And, and that's, that's, I think, where uh, kind of like Stacks comes in, where we cleanly separate like what's sovereign money, that's Bitcoin, and what's gas for smart contracts, which is Stacks, and Stacks brings smart contracts to Bitcoin. And obviously, uh, the Stacks blockchain uh, with smart contracts just launched three months ago. So in terms of developer traction, it's very early days, but people are building automated market makers, they're building stable coins, they're building liquidity protocols, they're building uh, NFTs on top. So all those things are kind of like happening and, and that's very, very exciting. But I think the, the fundamental difference here is this two-layered approach, like separating out the layer that is sovereign money, which is Bitcoin, which clearly has product market fit there, the trillion dollars of Bitcoin capital. And then, then once you have sovereign money, you're bringing smart contracts. Uh, instead of something that is gaining some traction in developers as smart contracts, and then trying to modify and change that existing system to somehow fit into uh, being being some sort of software, which you know, personally speaking, like I'm I'm kind of like more uh, skeptical of, of that approach. Now, um, we have been hearing a lot about Bitcoin's energy consumption over the past few days, um, and we. And what do you think is missing from discourse around Bitcoin's energy consumption? I think there are, there, there are so many things. I definitely think the energy concerns are overblown, uh, especially given the fact that a lot of the miners, uh, they actually use renewable energy sources uh, like hydro. And uh, they're, they're actually building these, uh, these mining facilities in areas that you can't do anything else with the energy sources there because, because you know, these are remote locations and Bitcoin mining can happen from anywhere in the world. But otherwise, you're talking about bringing electricity uh, to a population or to some sort of industrial area to actually use it. So I think the use case is very, very different. Uh, but I want to acknowledge that, yes, there is some carbon footprint that Bitcoin has. It's overblown in the media and so on. But yes, there is some carbon footprint, as with anything, as with the uh, you know, you, when you're building building out uh, buildings, like you know, there is cement involved, and there's a carbon footprint. Anything that you want to do in life, like like there is there's a carbon footprint involved. Uh, and interestingly, 
what people get wrong is a how large the footprint is, especially given that you know a bunch of mining is actually uh, environmental friendly, and secondly, how large the footprint needs to be in the future. Right. I think they, the concern is that they think that if Bitcoin basically keeps growing and Bitcoin uh, starts getting a lot of usage, uh, they're concerned that maybe you know, uh, the carbon footprint would actually just increase a lot, which is, which is not true because the transactions on Bitcoin are, are not related to the carbon footprint. It's not like when you're doing an additional transaction, you're actually adding any significant uh, carbon footprint. It's basically the production of blocks. Like when you're when you're creating new Bitcoin and people are kind of like competing over creating those new Bitcoin. And I think uh, the the additional layers like lightning or stacks actually play a huge role there because Bitcoin is not meant to be the payment uh, rails anyway. You're not gonna buy your coffee by doing a Bitcoin transaction. The Bitcoin transaction is gonna cost you $50 or something even today. And in the future, it might cost you $500 or $1,000. There's no way you're buying coffee with Bitcoin, but you might be buying coffee by doing a stacks transaction, like let's say XUSD, that has zero carbon footprint because it, it is not proof of work. It benefits from the security of Bitcoin's proof of work and it settles in Bitcoin, but it's not proof of work. So you can do thousands of transactions that are uh, basically quote unquote environmentally friendly and they all settle on Bitcoin. And I don't think people realize that. I don't think people realize that you could scale out transactions that are settling on Bitcoin without having any impact whatsoever on the carbon footprint of Bitcoin, which actually means that uh, like, like the energy concerns around Bitcoin are, are, are really overblown and people don't really understand uh, what is going on under the hoods. And I think, I think the transactions that settle on Bitcoin is kind of like one. There are several other aspects of, of that. Uh, due to which the energy concerns are, are really overblown. Excellent. Well, thank you so much. That's a wrap for today. Um, if you enjoyed your time with us, please do subscribe to the Stacks YouTube channel where we're going to be posting further sessions of these chats. And if you'd like to learn more about Stacks, head over to stacks.co and check out the Stacks Accelerator um, at stacks.ac. We're going to be tuning in again next week. So if you'd like for us to cover specific questions or topics, um, definitely please reach out. Also check out the info area under this video um, and get in touch. Thank you.